Hello and welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. My name is Johannes Miesger. I work as an assistant professor in the area of pedagogical leadership at the University of the Faroe Islands. Today in this podcast we are going to listen to an interview that I have conducted with Jill Jameson. So I'm here at the University of Greenwich, and I'm sitting here with Professor Jill Jameson. And welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome uh, to you to Greenwich. In fact, mm. it's lovely to see you. Thank you. Maybe first you can tell us about your professional background. Okay. So um, I was born in Zimbabwe, and uh, I was educated initially in uh, Cape Town, and then came to the UK and have been at a range of universities myself. And um, following uh, a, an initial career as a secondary school teacher, um, I then went into what is called the learning and skills sector, or was called that, um, into adult education, mm. and then from there into further and then higher education. So I graduated through various stages of management um, to become a director and of a college, and then from that I went into being a director of university, and subsequently have developed a great interest in research. Mm. And so I've, uh, for the last sort of 14 years or so, I've been doing research pretty exclusively, and now I'm particularly interested in leadership and education. Oh, okay. And, and what is currently your research interest in leadership? Well, there's quite a few, but uh, I think um, one of the things that is occupying me most is the concept of trust as a kind of underpinning principle, which affects... Um, both uh, leaders and those who are following us. And I don't particularly like the term following. So I like the idea of distributed leadership oh. within that. In other words, to look at the fact that in education, all of our practitioners are in some sense as leaders. So everybody who is looking after a class, everybody who is doing a research project or writing or being a teacher or being a manager, <coughs> to some extent we all share in the job, oh. as you might call it, of leadership. And I think therefore the both the formal and the informal aspects of leadership are important to me and within that uh, the creation between ourselves of uh, a kind of trust which is an, an enabling environment in other words that people can feel happy in their workplace and that they can get the best results from those that they work with and mm. those that um, they teach and um, are kind of engaging with in terms of the wider community so I think that underpinning aspect of trust and that underpinning aspect of collaboration and of working together on, uh, if you like, making things better for, um, for those that we are engaged with is very important to me. I think trust is a very difficult thing, and I'm trying to determine to some extent what it is and how it operates, and I've been working on that for quite a long time. Mm. And, and if we take a head teacher, how, how does a head, head teacher build up a culture of trust in the school? 
I think it's very important to come from the idea of shared values mm. so that within leadership uh, there is an understanding amongst those who are working together in an institution that they feel that people are reliable, that they feel that there is an openness around the kind of values that are in operation, not only overtly but also in the kind of the in-depth uh, culture of the institution, so that in a sense uh, there is a way in which we understand how things are operating and we feel that things make sense. Mm. And so from that point of view, um, I think the question of having uh, a shared set of values that is established by the leadership of the school mm. um, or the teaching environment together is very important. And one of the leaders that I interviewed um, in education who was very successful at this said that from his point of view there was a palpable sense of difference mm. between those institutions that had adopted a core set of values and were living by them and those that didn't. And I think it's it's, it's almost quite simple, mm. but one simply says, look, this is the this is the way that we operate here. Mm. Let's just make sure that we agree with that and that we're working on that together. And to have a kind of openness around that, and within that, a recognition of competence as well, mm. because uh, one of the things that's important is that um, in order for trust to be established, you need not only to ensure that there's a benign environment in terms of people feeling that's a healthy environment to work in, but also that you feel that people are reliable, mm. that what they say is what they're going to do, mm. and that within that openness, if you like, there is also an acknowledgement of competency in terms of the kinds of standards that you're operating, yeah. and that if things aren't working, that people say so, and they try and make sure that that happens mm. together, sort of thing. So mm. it's the, those kinds of fairly ordinary human values yeah, exactly. around how things work properly that I think is very important. And I think when people stray from those, which can happen so easily, I suppose it's an enabling an environment to take place where you can say so, hmm. where there's a kind of truth about the way that the institution operates. Yeah. And I think once people recognize that common adherence to a kind of truthful set of values together, then I think things work much better. Hmm. Whereas when people start to stray from that, which is quite easy, I think that people can go quite a long way without recognizing it. Yeah. And in fact, in, the, in some of the literature, there is the term ethical slippage, hmm. whereby um, ever so slightly people can deviate from the best thing to do and people don't necessarily want to acknowledge that so it becomes hidden and then people share in a kind of complicity of silence around that and then mm. you get elephants in the room about things that are really bad mm. and so on and so it can accumulate that actually what seems like a minor deviation can actually end up being quite problematic to the institution. Mm. So I think those sorts of underpinning principles are very important in our work, um, in what I've given you around the CAMEL project, which is collaborative approaches to the management of e-learning, it was initially an e-learning project, but it was actually about trying to create 
a trusting environment together. Mm. So a community of practice in which trust was recognized. Mm. It's something also that I think is very slow to build. Okay. And so from that point of view, from a leadership perspective, I think the recognition that not everything has to be done yesterday is important. Mm. And the recognition that also time for reflection and time for making sure that actually the way you're operating is how you want to operate is important. Mm. And allowing people a space to criticize and to contribute is important. Yeah. And, and then if a head teacher can feel that there was mistrust from maybe a group of his staff or maybe from one staff, what would you recommend the head teachers do in that situation? I think to um, invite people in to come and talk and mm. to find out what is actually happening in terms of what's going wrong and to give people a space to express their views uh, in, in a way whereby there's a mutual engagement with what is really happening. Mm. You know, to actually open out yeah. uh, what, what, what is actually going on under the surface because I think what can happen is that there can be uh, a very great gap that develops between uh, leaders and managers if you like and sometimes between leaders and between staff and I think what's important is that people try to pull together a, a, you know and I think that needs to come from all sides actually mm. it's not just those at the top but it's also those at the bottom need to be kind of engaged with and you know and to sort of to have their voices heard yeah. um, so in, in a way it's a kind of listening that needs mm. to take place but maybe one needs to sometimes be quite strict about how that occurs so there is there is a management aspect to that as well in terms of ensuring that the institution is efficient. I mean, it can be the case that sometimes people who are mistrusting are wrong, hmm. but sometimes they're right. Yeah. And sometimes it's quite complicated because it's in between. Hmm. So it's sort of allowing, allowing a space for that to be seen and heard, hmm. whatever the particular problem is. Yeah. Are you thinking of any particular kinds of issues that people may face? No, no. No, okay, okay. So, there, uh, I mean, there's some general principles, and some of the literature that we've been talking about and that I will give you references to, I think is really interesting in looking at kind of case studies of some of the things that have gone wrong and how people have tackled them, mm. because sometimes it's really complicated and really difficult, yeah. and it actually is very much about the particular situation that you happen to be in. Mm. And so I think attention to that is important in terms of what the cultural underpinning is. Yeah, because because some of these things have grown up over a long period of time and they're often to do with things in the environment, if you like, uh, that are not necessarily articulated. Mm. So to some extent, sometimes it's good to do a kind of audit check, yeah. of, you know, from one's own perspective, to look at how the institution is shaping environmentally, and maybe to get some external people to kind of help with that, oh, to come okay. and talk, yeah. um, and, and to give a bit of advice, and to listen, and to read, to think, maybe to go to other places to see how people are doing things, yeah. and to open the door, actually, mm. to try and see what can help because in a sense uh, I guess it's like a wound <laughs> an, an, an institutional wound or, or places where things are not going well hmm. can you get people to help to work on that how can you delicately and sensitively open things up so that actually they get to be healed and they get to be better yeah. to cast light on stuff hmm. that, that may be in some cases quite hard to do 
Hmm. It's a challenge. And so I think from that point of view, um, what I also suggested in some of my recent work was to think about what I've termed negative capability, which is coming from Keats as a romantic kind of concept, but it's actually, that's a romantic poetry uh, reference, but it actually is actually about space Hmm. um, in terms of not always letting a deterministic attitude prevail. In other words, thinking that you are free enough to change things. Mm. So it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be so negative. Mm. You can actually say, well, what's going on here? Stop and think. And instead of doing always what might be the predictable response, to see if there are any other ways of actually looking at a situation, reflecting and listening to people to try to see, if I want to try and make that thing better, how can I do that? And to get advice and to seek help and to reflect before you act sometimes Hmm. I think is important. Hmm. So, and from that point of view, I think also sometimes it's necessary, I think, for the leaders to step back a bit. Hmm. So I've also talked about invisibility and visibility in leadership in terms of sometimes it's important for leaders not always to dominate. Yeah. Yeah. But actually sometimes to think, well... Let's listen and look hmm. and see what else there is in this institution that can help this situation. Yeah. And to take the time to really think about that. Hmm. Do you have any clues for when uh, a teacher shall kind of be visible and when he shall more step back? Are there certain situations or is it... Very, very, very difficult for me to say. Yeah. In you know, I mean, I think it's not a one-size-fits-all model. No. no. <laughs> you know, and I think it's really, really dependent on the exact specific uh, set of circumstances and the place where a, a challenge is occurring. And in a sense, uh, I suppose it's 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 a it's a subtle uh, responsiveness that is needed if one is going to really try to make things better. And from that point of view, I mean, it's almost like you know martial arts or tai chi or something. It's actually quite um, quite difficult to pre-specify exactly how you should be operating. But there's a kind of sensitivity and a complexity involved that is very deep. And I think that that actually is about being responsive to your environment hmm. in a, in a in a in an organic sense. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, you have a long list of publications, Jill. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. Is, is there maybe another subject that you would like to dig in? Well, I think from the point of view of distributed leadership, um, that was something that I wanted to raise because I think it's very, very important that actually leadership is not just only residing at the top of institutions and that there is um, a kind of notion that, as we said before, um, regardless of the position, the positional authority of people, I think that um, really the notion that actually the whole organization is involved in leadership in terms of the mass of people is very important. And I think within that, the collegial model is important in terms of understanding how um, leadership can operate in terms of people owning the roles that they have in education so that it's not just... um, as, as you get in uh, some organizations where it's really a kind of 
um, very much a hierarchical managerial kind of situation which has received a great deal of negative press as you know I'm sure in terms of neo-managerialism to try to move away from those models into a model of things that are shared more openly I think actually the Nordic countries are better than that Hmm. better than us uh, at that and I think uh, better also than America Uh, and so in in fact in some ways I think we should be listening to you Hmm. around how those sorts of models operate but I really think that that sort of collegiality in terms of an underpinning understanding of how the mass of people contributes to leadership is very important and within that um, I think there's a certain uh, subtlety and spontaneity and unpredictability about leadership and this is one of the reasons why it fascinates me because um, it's like a project that I knew that was operating at the University of Oxford where they were trying to identify where the positioning of leadership was in a oh. shoal of fishes oh. <laughs> and what is interesting is that it changes oh. and it changes quite suddenly and rapidly yeah. is that suddenly you'll have one part of the shoal of fishes that it's leading and then the next moment will be another part oh. and so I think within that um, recognition that the positional authority of the manager in charge the, the, the person who is the official leader or the group, the team, the top team, yeah. within that to have a recognition in their roles that there is also informal leadership and there is also mass leadership Hmm. and there are different ways about how this entity operates is very important. So while positional authority is linked to pay and linked to efficiency and effectiveness and management structures and that's all very important and we want it to work, I think the thing that is leadership that is actually something which is a shared property and something which actually also resides outside the institution sometimes, so it could be sometimes that the parents and the community Mm. and the children have got a role in that environment and even, you know, the way that the whole whole school is positioned in its neighborhood is important Mm. around how things operate together to make it a good place. And I think from that point of view, if the person who, or people, the top team, who are in looking after the place in a very good way, they enable that kind of coordination of leadership to occur, which is a very uh, interesting to to see when it happens. And it's it's a kind of practical wisdom uh, around the Aristotelian notion of practical wisdom, wisdom about how that operates in the workplace. Mm. And I would refer also to... um, uh, you know the saying by by Lao Tse, it, it, who is you know a very ancient thinker, around how um, the the people who, uh, as for the best leaders, uh, people don't actually recognise them hmm. sometimes yeah. because uh, when the best leaders' work is done, the people say we did it ourselves. Uh-huh. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. So it's like that moment at which the leader knows to step back Hmm. and to enable the environment to enable other people to actually take on some of the task is important and within that a recognition of the kind of collegiality and the kind of engagement of other people is important Hmm. it's orchestration really when it works well If, if we say that we have a head teacher who has been appointed to a school, uh, to a school mm-hmm. and he comes into the school and the school has been run earlier by a leader who was very hierarchical kind of in his leadership style. Mm-hmm. 
so they are not used to distributed leadership. How would you advise this head teacher to initiate a culture of distributed leadership? I think um, very carefully and probably quite slowly because sometimes people need to have uh, command and control leadership mm. and sometimes that is what they're used to mm. and it may take quite a long time to change the culture okay. and in order to do that I think a variety of different um, possibly groups operating at different levels in the institution to, to, in terms of discussing it with different people and seeking people's understanding seeking people's views, maybe putting forward a, a, a vision for that initially, but saying we're going to take some time to, to get there, and talking to people about how you can do that is, is important. And I think from the first thing, maybe when you come in, is to actually just listen. Hmm. You know, and to keep things in a you way as... Yes, to, to begin to understand the culture, because from my point of view, I think it takes probably two years to begin to really understand the culture and maybe much, much, much longer. Hmm. It depends how long it's been in operation really and you don't always even understand, you don't always even see some things when you first come in. So I think there's a lot of people who might say, well, you just go into, into an institution, you put forward a new strategic plan, and what happens is you then have strategic meetings and you put forward a policy paper, you change everything, and you immediately kind of create new groups. You can do that. Mm. Okay. In some instances, that might actually work. Yeah. But I think, for me, I would suggest more carefully than mm. that mm. because I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite... Um, I'm quite kind of cautious in wanting the very best that can be for that institution. Mm. And I think if you're going to do that, you actually need to really take some time about how you actually plan that. Because, as you know, the literature on the management of change indicates what is it that about 80% of change mm. projects fail. Yeah. And so I think in adopting the different, you know, there's lots of different models of change, I think it's within that it's very important to actually give space yeah. give space to time and thought I think one of the problems with our whole existence nowadays is we're all way too fast mm. <laughs> we, you know we operate uh, at the speed of light sometimes which is great and yeah. I do that you know yeah. with emails with this this kind of podcast with that kind of TV show mm. with this environment we're always operating in a rushed Situation and sometimes I think to get the very best, there's a need to take time. But time, actually, in that sense, is not necessarily a fixed property because it could be about how much energy and commitment you have. You know, so what is time in that way? It's it's actually what I'm saying is make an environment in which you really carefully do these things mm. before changing a culture yeah. is what I would suggest. Yeah. And bring in those that are going to be most affected by the change to own it. Hmm. And, and, and then uh, you say that it's important that the head teacher gets to know the culture and takes time to do it. I think so. But, yeah. but, but what are the clues to say that, okay, now is the time actually, so now I can move forward to to a more distributed leadership style in the school? I think it's an, it's an interactive engagement. And I, what I'm suggesting also is that maybe from the very first as a new leader, they might want to say what their vision is huh. and then see what the response is. So, ah, I mean, okay. I want to move to this within 18 months, let's say. And then to see what the response is and then to 
you know, interactively negotiate and um, maybe change, adapt their responses, mm. depending on if the institution seems that it could actually be desperate for a change and would like it to happen in three months, then do it in three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it feels that everybody's very, very uh, difficult and they don't want to contemplate such a thing, then maybe consider a little bit longer, even. Huh. You know, so it's sort of like adapting yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to make things fit. To so be in that a dialogue with yeah, the staff. Yeah, to be in dialogue, yeah. I think. And oh. that's where I think leadership is about vision and it is about uh, mission and it is about making meaning together with the people in the organization. And I think... Uh, it can be that some people who are actually very good leaders in one situation cannot adapt to another because they are coming in with a whole understanding that is different from the organization they get into. Mm. Mm. And so I think it's very important to understand where you are, you know, who are the people around mm. you, mm. what is important to them, what is important to this institution, and in that sense to, to tailor your responses, mm. really, mm. according to what is most appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so you had a third... Uh Yes, I think from uh, the point of view um, uh, really of uh, the researchers, I suppose it might be um, interesting to think about whether um, leaders might want to engage with researchers in terms of opening out uh, a kind of reflective space for problem solving, oh. in terms of uh, consulting on, on, on the kinds of dilemmas that people have, um, rather than responding reactively without actually looking at the information about what can come. So I think from that point of view, it can be helpful for people in a leadership situation to actually work with researchers oh. who are, if you like, in the institution or they do some research themselves within the institution to find out what is really going on and maybe to ask some questions about whether they could do an action research project in their school oh. to try and improve things and maybe to get people to start contributing, start writing about it, start doing things like collecting information uh, from diaries and reflections and discussions together, interviews and so on. Oh. I mean, what I found is in the work that I did as a leadership assessor for um, the learning and skills sector for about seven years is we interviewed um, exec chief executives from all over the country and talked to them about leadership development. And so I think from that point of view, to have some sort of leadership development in place which maybe incorporates research within it mm. was important. And they, they did that. Um, but as part of that research, they also kept reflective journals themselves. And and what I found when we, um, we did their final assessments after a program of about 18 months of executive leadership development, that the journals that they kept were amazing. Hmm. Because what they would find is that they would write about a situation one day, and then they'd be following that through over a period of time and gathered through journals for years and months and years. And they would then look back and realize what it had been like. And so in that looking back and tracking and beginning to understand how you were positioned and how you were developing, how the situation and how the institution were developing, I think the keeping of things like reflective journals, the keeping of... Um, 
maybe uh, evidence in terms of uh, different kind of questions that you were asking about how I can solve that problem or what is going on here, actually did really transform hmm. in the way that they, they kind of kept those, because they were very conscientious about it. I mean, talking about chief executives who were very responsible people yeah. um, who, who did a great job. And they did find, as part of that program, that uh, there was uh, a complete transformation, huh. not only of themselves, but their institutions. And as part of that, they would be challenging themselves um, to actually say, well, you know, could this be better? How could we, as an institution, how could I, as a leader, as a manager, actually work on this in a way that maybe is better? And from that point of view, I think also the setting up of peer networks huh. in terms of collaboration and support yeah. is important yeah. because those chief executives, those principals were actually in a group whereby they were giving people feedback. But it wasn't just a fun, friendly group, and that was part of it, but that was only one part of it, because they would also share with each other some of the dilemmas that were mm. happening. Mm. From that point of view, the communities of practice model is very interesting, because what it enables you to do is to take a problem, and with a group of colleagues, to air that problem mm. with them, yeah. and together to try and find a solution. And where, if you go, I went back to, I'm going back to that metaphor of the wound that we had where, mm. you know, if you like, a situation is wounded, is, is in need of help. And you get a group of experts to work with you to try and say, well, this is like an operation, how can we help you? Mm. And then you try and work openly and constructively together in a situation of complete trust yeah. because these people are not competitors, these people are colleagues who, they don't have any necessar necessary relationship to you because they've got a they're a principal in another school something and they don't, you know, there's no problem there. So you have a situation of complete trust and you can say, this is what is really happening. You can be truthful about it. Yeah. And I think that's where the truth and the trust and the collegiality kind of come together to enable things to be better. Research can be part of that, therefore, and is very helpful in structuring what you want to know, what you want to find out about the institution, what it wants to achieve, how you're making progress to keep audit records if you like, of that, um, and then to hopefully get a better situation. Mm -hmm. So which area in leadership do you think is in need of more research? Well, um, I am puzzled by the growing inequality um, that we perceive um, not only in the UK and America, but in many places around the world where I feel there is a disjunct between uh, very, very wealthy um, sets of people and those who are really struggling um, at uh, the other end. And that uh, it seems to me to have been huge exacerbated in recent years and there's a lot of evidence on this in terms of you know books like the one percent and um, you know books on um, the kinds of structural inequalities that we face and I think I'm very concerned about that because it seems to me that people are turning a blind eye to that hmm. and for example in the UK I mean the levels of pay differentiation that we yeah. have in the UK are quite extraordinary yeah. in terms of, you know, different levels of people. People at the top are getting about 250 
you or whatever that it means. A lot. Huh. A lot of money, 250000 let's say, <laughs> compared with somebody uh, in, the, in the bottom level who's getting something like, you know, 30000 40000 a huge discrepancy. Huh. And I think from that point of view, um, tackling our blindness to inequality, I think, is very interesting as wow. to why we don't do that huh. and how you can make that situation better. And I think one of the reasons why I think that is so important is that when you get to a certain point of inequality, um, that's when social trust begins to break down. Huh because people don't believe oh. what those at the top are saying and um, those at the top are very frightened of those at the bottom because yeah. they feel that there's a massive uh, amount of jealousy, which there probably is. But also it's to do with the ethics of that situation, which I mm. think is highly problematic. Now, it seems to me the Nordic problems don't have this problem as much as we do, mm. but I hope that it's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would alert people to that as being something that is problematic, yeah. really, and something that I think we need to work on. But it's not, there's not easy solutions. Well. And I think it's affecting, um, to be honest, I think it, it's affecting global peace to some extent. Oh. Uh, in different ways, but it's the way that that is happening is 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 interesting and very complex. Yeah. I think the other thing that concerns me actually is the proliferation of new technologies. And even though I am one of those who was a champion, and I'm still very interested in educational technology, I'm quite worried huh. by the fact that we are. I don't think we're critical enough okay. of um, the ways in which educational technology are actually affecting us in institutions. And and um, not only the speed of that, but also the distraction effect in terms of student studies. The fact that the OECD um, has indicated that actually thoughtless use of technology, excessive thoughtless use, can lead to much worse results. That students, you know, basically become completely uh, distracted from their work, they are taken up in social networks and so on. I'm not at all against the use of, and one of the people who promotes the use of social media and so on, but I think there, there's not enough awareness hmm. of uh, the problems of the adoption of new technologies in, in in poor ways, if you like, because they're very glamorous. Yeah. And there's a kind of techno-deterministic kind of um, wave, if you like, which has caught up um, with many of our institutions in terms of a sort of neoliberal type of, you know, take-up of, you know, this, this machine is glamorous, let's take it mm. up tomorrow, and let's replace our sort of, you know, reading um, with kind of iPads and so on and so forth. There are ethical, there are health risks, and there are other problems associated mm. with that, which I think need to be looked at yeah. and it needs to be but the best use of technology can be fantastic mm. and we have an amazing opportunity in terms of collaboration across the world yeah. so I, I think it's just how we use those yeah, exactly yeah at, at, at the end where can people find information about your research 
Um, so I will give you some links about that, and I will be very happy if people want to follow those through and they want to pick up on some of the publications. But also, um, you know, I'm always happy to be contacted if people want to know uh, more uh, about uh, different elements of what I've worked with, and also to put people in touch with others, such as, for example, um, Professor David Collinson, as I mentioned, at the University of Lancaster is one that I've worked with, but there's many other people um, in, you know, he's actually leadership from a business perspective, but there are many other educational leadership people that I would be happy to pass information on Mm. about. I've worked, for example, with Professor Alma Harris at the Institute of Education, who's obviously a fantastically well-known person, a really excellent person as regards leadership research. So, yeah, I feel as if I'm one of a community, and if people want to engage and find out about, I'm very happy to participate in that. They can go to the university homepage and find information there. I would be delighted if people do. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And best wishes to everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.